Good morning, everyone. This is Kalev Bendor from Jerusalem. And today we are learning chapter 16 and 17 of Shmuel Bet. We left David in chapter 15, fleeing Jerusalem, crying and mourning. And he's then met by someone I consider as one of the most despicable and loathsome characters in Tanakh. I'm probably exaggerating a little. This person didn't kill, he didn't rape, he didn't commit idolatry, and he's pretty peripheral. But he did try and cheat a disabled, powerless man out of his worldly possessions. Siva was one of Shaul's servants, and he's been commanded by David to continue to serve Mephibosheth, Shaul's grandson, and Yonatan's son. Siva is a power in his own right. He has 15 sons, and 20 servants. When we first meet him, it's clear he has his eyes on the prize of the large amount of lands that belong to Shaul's family. In chapter 16, Siva meets David with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, and 100 summer fruits and a bottle of wine and offers them to the king. And in Pasuk Gimel, we read this, And the king said, Where is your master's son? And Siva said to the king, Siva said to the king, he, He's in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. If I could interject into this conversation for a moment, I'd like to suggest to David a more likely reason as to why Mephibosheth didn't flee. He can't walk. The accusation that Mephibosheth thinks Avshalom is going to anoint him king is as absurd as it is ridiculous. Yet David believes him. And, and the king said to Tziva, Everything of Mephibosheth is yours. And Tziva said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favour in your sight, my lord, O king. David just signs away all of Shaul's family lands. So much for looking after Jonathan's son. Looking ahead a few chapters, when David returns to Jerusalem and speaks to Mephibosheth, he returns the lands, but only half of them. The rest of them get to be kept by Siva, the bald-faced, scheming liar. David then comes to a place called Bachurim, and a man from the tribe of Binyamin, Shimi ben Gera, begins to curse him, throw stones at him. Rabbi Joe gave a beautiful drush several weeks ago about the husband of Shaul's daughter, Michal. Palti ben Laish follows Michal weeping till being ordered to turn back by Avner, who is moving over to David's side and taking Michal with him as per David's request. And Palti follows her until this very place, Bachurim, where David now suffers abuse from a supporter of the house of Shaul. Meanwhile, Avshalom and his entourage come to Jerusalem. Hushai, who David has sent to give Avshalom bad advice, joins Avshalom and convinces him that he has left David and now supports David's son. And Achitophel, one of David's advisers who genuinely supports Avshalom, has been asked for advice. 
and suggests Avshalom sleeps with his father's concubines. As we've seen in the past with Avner and Shaul's concubine, and as we will see in the future with another one of David's sons, having a relationship with the king's concubine is a sign of royalty. And it also demonstrates there can be no reconciliation between Avshalom and David. Avshalom's acts are also more or less fulfilling the warning or the prophecy that Natan gives David after he has slept with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. God says that before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And we end chapter 16 with this amazing phrase. Now the counsel of Achitofel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man inquired of the word of God. Chapter 17 begins as a natural continuation with Achitofel's second piece of advice which it seems would also have been very wise. He says to Avshalom, let me now choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I'll come upon him while he's wary and weak-handed and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king and I will bring back all the people to you. A relatively small force, a clean strike, little or no bloodshed apart from the king. And the text tells us that Avshalom thinks this is a good idea. Hushai makes a different suggestion, one that will take more time and in practice allow David and his men to regroup. But I counsel that all Israel be gathered together to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle yourself. And then Avshalom utters these very significant words. Vayome Avshalom v'chol ish Yisrael tova atzat chushai ha'archi me'atzat achitofel. And Avshalom said, and every man of Israel with him, the counsel of chushai the archite is better than the counsel of achitofel. V'adonai tziva l'hafeh et atzat achitofel atova l'va'avur havi Adonai el Avshalom et ha'ra'a. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of achitofel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Avshalom. Hushai then told Sadok and Evyatar the Kornim, who were in the capital, but who were, ally, who, but who were allied to David, to tell their children, Yonatan and Achimatz, to run to David's camp and update him. And in a story very similar to the spies that Yoshua sends, who spotted by the people of Yericho, and who are forced to hide in the house of Rachav, Yonatan and Achimatz are hidden by a maidservant, while Avshalom's men are looking for them. Hushai's advice ultimately allows David the time to pass over the Jordan overnight. Avshalom prepares for battle. He appoints Amasa over the army instead of Yoav. Amasa is Yoav's cousin. Amasa's mother, Avigail, and Yoav's mother, Tsuruya, are sisters. And both are nephews to David. And Avshalom and his host pass over the Jordan to do battle, which we'll read about tomorrow. The chapter ends with a number of David's allies coming to provide food for him. 
And one of them is a character whose father we have come across and whose brother we have come across, but of whom we know nothing. That person is Shovi, the son of Nachash of Ammon. His brother Hanun has been fighting David and his father wanted to gouge out the eyes of the people of Jabesh Gilad during the time of Shaul. But it seems the member of the Ammonite monarchy feels genuinely close to David. And we also read this in verse 23. And when Achitophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went home to his city, set his house in order and strangled himself and he died and was buried in the grave of his father. And it's perhaps ironic that in modern Hebrew, the phrase etzat achitofel, the advice of achitofel, means bad advice. Nothing could be further from the phrase's original meaning. Had Avshalom followed achitofel's advice, he would likely have become king. So who was achitofel? Robert Alter describes him as a kind of Israelite Metternich or Bismarck, the European diplomat strategist of the 19th century. In Devre Yamim, chapter 27, verse 33, Achitophel is described as an advisor, a yoetz to the king, with Hushai, who we also read about, being a rea, a friend of the king. There's a wonderful Agadah story in the Talmud in which Achitophel's reasoning via a Kalvachomer saves the earth from being destroyed by the waters of the abyss that David is actually caused to rise. But in general, the rabbis are not fans of Achitophel. The second mission of the 10th chapter of Sanhedrin lists him as one of the few people alongside Doeg, who murders the priest of Nov, and Bilam, who have no share in the world to come. But why does Achitophel side with Amshalom against David? Radak says he was, he was jealous of David, but it's harder to see that within the text itself. Rav Benny Lau points out that there's a personal component in Achitophel's advice, which actually leads Avshalom to doubt its wisdom. We read this already, but it's worth reading again. Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night, and I will come upon him, and I will make him afraid, and I will smite the king, and I will bring back all the people to you. For Achitophel, this is personal, perhaps overly personal. But why? In Shmuel Bet, chapter 23, the text provides us with a list of the Giborim of David, the military heroes. One of those mentioned in verse 35 is Eliam, the son of Achitophel, the Giloni. So service in David's kingdom is clearly a family affair. The father is an advisor. The son is a warrior. But we have come across the name Eliam before in one of the key chapters of the entire book, chapter 11. Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam. In other words, the granddaughter of Achitophel. Reading the story through this prism, Achitophel siding with Avshalom is personal revenge against David for the sin David committed with his granddaughter. But it also returns us to the centrality of David's sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, 
to the rest of David's life and how the Gilui Arayot, the sexual crimes, and the Shefichut Damim, the bloodshed that he experiences in his family, are a direct result of this. I think it even relates to why David flees in the first place, rather than fighting in Jerusalem. It's a very undavid thing to flee and to cry and to mourn, certainly the early years of David. But this new post Batsheva Uriah David is different. He's passive. And deep down, he feels that everything bad that happens to him and his family is somehow connected to the grave sin he committed. And in this case, he's doubly right. <laughs>